Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immortality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, rage, anger, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Amen. Well done, Nora. Thank you. Good morning and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. With so many new people in the city, with a lot of new people in our church, with a lot of us who have maybe been here for a while, but all of us are here in a new moment, in a new chapter in our church's life. And we, going forward, therefore need a reminder of what we're about. Our vision statement is this, to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. And yet, what does that even mean? I mean, vision statements bother me if we don't know what these statements mean or what's behind those statements, which is why we are doing this series on our Redeemer LSQ DNA. Today we get to a doozy. We're going to look at what is wrong with the world and what's going to make things right. Small topic. And our culture has an answer too, by the way. If you think, oh, you know, this is where, you know, Michael's going to tell us what to believe. Everybody's telling you what to believe. Culture says right now what's wrong with the world is that we are not self-actualized. We are not self-optimized. And if we can go through a process of self-discovery and self-definition, if we can follow our heart, if you get to do you, if people get to, to do and find and define who they are and what they are and, and do that wherever they are, that will lead to the most amount of happiness to the most amount of people. And so the million-dollar question is, how's that going? <laughs> is that actually working? And so if you're not a Christian today, or if, you know, if you're, even if you are a Christian, you have to ask this question as well. We should be evaluating our culture's narrative, because just because you were born into this culture, just because you are living in this culture, doesn't mean that this particular answer works. So we have to ask, is it working? And if it's not, I would like to propose what Christianity has to say. And so let's look at three things today. Let's look at, number one, the things that you need to get out of your life. Number two, the things that you need to get in your life. And then number three, how to get a life. 
Good. Some of you are awake. That was supposed to be funny. Right? Some, so I'll say it again. What are the things we need to get out of our life for happiness? What are things we need to get into our life for happiness? And then how to get a life. Okay, number one. Let's see the things to get out of our life. What do I mean by that? Well, culture will tell you. Everybody get, believes in there are some things you need to get out of your life, right? You need to get some pe- people. Will, you'll hear this phrase. You know, you, you need to get away from the haters. Haters are going to hate. Get away from them. Or get away from those toxins. Or, you know, get away from the, that negative energy. Or you, you, you'll hear people say, change your diet. Change your habits. Change your, you know, pay attention more over here. Don't pay attention over here. What, th- that, that is all different ways for our culture to say what to get out. And the question is, how's it going? How's it working? And I find it endlessly interesting that as our culture is moving in a direction where we're becoming more and more convinced that the main problem is this self-optimization. The main problem is this self-actualization process. As we all endeavor to go on that journey more so, it seems like, I think, we are, we're simultaneously ignoring the data and the statistics that are showing that we are not more happy. We are not less stressed. We are not less anxious than the previous generation. What's interesting is you'll look at the papers, right? And you'll see people report about the increasing problems of mental health, but it seems like we've uncoupled that data from the correlation to our pursuit of happiness through, through this means. Why are we not connecting these things? I believe that as we've, got, as we've gotten to define ourselves more, we've become more anxious about our self-definition. That, that is, the more we get convinced that we are on our own, that we, we are the master and commanders of our own lives, it seems like we become more insecure about who I am. Maybe I'm this, maybe I'm that. I don't know. Who am I? What are you? What, are, are, and are, why are you telling me what to be? That's, that, that, is, that seems to be what's going on. And so my, my argument would be maybe the faith that we're placing in our culture's narrative might be not the right faith. See, faith is trust, and you should only trust what works. And if it's not working, Paul has an alternative. He actually agrees, by the way, there are things to get out of your life. Look at verse 5 in our text. He says, put to death, right? Put to death means to, to delete, to cut out, to get rid of. And he gives us two lists here, two, not one, but two. The second list is found in verses 8 and 9, where he says, you know, put off, put to death, anger, rage, malice, slander, do not lie. And we understand those concepts, to, to get rid of those. We agree with him on that, right? And the question is, is how? How can we put to death the, these things? There's this, um, there was this funny skit on television. I think it was in 2010. Uh, it was on one of those comedy uh, central programming. And it was um, this comedian, Bob Newhart, plays a therapist uh, in this skit. And the skit goes where he is a therapist and he promises he can solve your problems for only $5. And so people will come into his office and say, hey, I have an anger problem. I I have a problem where I'm afraid of tight spaces. I'm claustrophobic. And he's like, great. Guess what? Give me your $5. They're like, okay. It's only five bucks. He's like, all right. Counts the money. He goes, all right, I can do it. Ready? Here's the solution to your problem. Ready? It's in two words. Ready? Stop it. (laughs) And they're like, stop it? They're like, yeah, yeah. Stop, Stop being afraid of being, you know, stuck in small places. Stop having anger problems. Then there you go. I fixed your problems. 
They're like, but, but, but wait, wait, that doesn't how it works. And he goes, shh, that's the answer. And we laugh because that is the answer. Stop it. But we all know it's not that easy. Which then leads to, you know, there's still a question, why do we do what we know we shouldn't do? And interestingly, Paul has that answer too. It's in the first list. It's buried. It's kind of hidden. But go back to the first list in, in, in here. And what he'll say is, in verse 5, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and idolatry. Now, a lot of times we don't connect with these as much as the, the, the more concrete list, that we, the second list, particularly the phrases evil desires and idolatry. Why? Because most of you don't wake up going, today I'm going to be evil. <laughs> right? I don't, most of us don't think we're going to, we don't wake up saying, you know, I'm going to plan to take over the world, or I'm going to, I'm going to do something that everybody's going to agree with that is evil. What, and what's great about the Greek, when you kind of go into the Greek, the word evil is not actually there. This word is a compound word. It's the word epithemia. Epi means over or above, and themia means desire. So, Paul's saying, actually, put to death over-desire, inordinate desire. And then when he fuses that word with the very next word, which is idolatry, now you actually see what he's trying to get at. He's saying, hey, your problem isn't that you're going to do some sort of evil desire. Your problem is you're going to take a good desire and make it ultimate in your life. It's wanting a good thing so much that you've made it an ultimate thing. Last year for Christmas, I wanted a, a refrigerator. Because uh, why? Because our current refrigerator, or well, what was our current refrigerator, was, was broken. It, it would go up and down, things would freeze, and then melt, and everything was all bad. So we got a new refrigerator. And it was great. A good refrigerator is a good refrigerator. But if I told you, you know what? I polish that refrigerator every day. I love this refrigerator. It gives me my meaning and happiness and identity. I love it. You would all laugh at me because of the time and energy that I'm spending on that thing. But we spend our time and energy at a level on our careers, on our relationships, on our reputation, on finding the right identity, on our parental approval. At such a level that, while they, those things might be good things, We've placed such a, a need on them to give us a meaning, to give us a worth, to give us an identity, that it can't, and it breaks it. And so ironically, I think our culture is telling us to do that. It's telling us to get that identity through whatever thing you want to get. And yet Paul is coming in here and saying, no, that's actually the problem. So the question then for us, I would say, is how then do we discover what is be being an epithemia in our lives? And I would argue you need a diagnostic question. You need to ask, what do I worry about? Or what does my mind go to in solitude when I have uh, time? What do I fixate on? Usually, I would argue, whatever that thing is, there's always a thing beneath that thing. That what you're really looking for is, um, uh, one person put it, it's power, approval, comfort, or control. And really the thing that you're looking for gets down to you're looking for some sort of power, approval, comfort, or control. And that means then, guess what? I don't care if you identify as a Christian or if you identify as somebody free that I can make my own decisions. I would argue you, you have placed things, and this is why Paul calls it idolatry, in your life that maybe it's not a little figurine of physicality, but you have placed things in your life 
that you are caring too much for, and you're asking from it to do what it can't do. And let me be careful here. Paul is not a Buddhist. He's not saying get rid of all desire. He's not saying desires are bad. He's also not being a hedonist and saying, hey, throw yourself into your desires, into your passions. What he's actually saying is, is that trying to get comfort and identity from these things is killing us because ultimately it can't give us what we need. I call that a racket. Because you're either going to, your whole life, pursue what you think will finally give you the love that you've always wanted, and you'll either never get it because you're just trying to get it, and therefore you'll be constantly disappointed in that, or you will get it, and it won't be enough. You'll be disappointed, and you'll move on to the next thing. That's why our culture has turned us into consumers, to do that very thing. And until, what Paul is saying here, until we realize what that thing is, and here's what's interesting. You're all so different— I can't tell you what your thing is. You have to discover that and find what are you using to validate our sense of self. Because whatever that thing is, if, that, if we feel like that's being blocked, we're going to hate those people. And we're going to constantly be stuck, as I just said. So we have to look past our inconsistent living and realize, I'm all for self-optimization and technology, but we can't look to those things to save us. We have to look past our up and down emotional state, and we, need, we have to find what we identify through our desires, what we're looking to that are functionally being our Savior. That's point one. Paul says those are the things that you have to get out of your life, number one. All right, number two, fine. Then what should we put into our lives? Look at verse one. In verse one, he says, set your hearts on things above. He also says, set your mind on things above. And I, I did a lot of work trying to find out if, if, he, if mind and heart are different, but most commentaries say in this case, they're functioning the same way. That he's saying the center of where your desires come from should be set on things above. And so this is where it's interesting when you add these, these phrases together. So that Paul doesn't just say in verse 5, put to death and remove. Guess what? If you wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? Today, I'm not going to look for approval in the places I've been looking for approval. Today, it's going to be different. You can say that as much as you want. That doesn't make it happen. And if you're like me, who regularly go, okay, that, tomorrow's going to be different, and that doesn't change, that's because it's more than, you have to have more than just taking off something. And Paul's saying this because that's, you have to actually set your mind on things above. You say, what does that even mean? Well, I'll tell you what it at least means. To set your mind is an active moment. It's not passive. Whatever it means to set your heart, it means to do. So think about it. Let's, go, let's, let's do this as an as a action step. What would it mean to set our, our hearts and minds? It means thinking through and spending time on, reflecting on, what does it mean that Christ—it says here that Christ is at the right hand, seated at the right hand of God the Father. We're just looking at verse 1. Let's work through that, just that little phrase. For the fact that Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, that means he's enthroned. That means he's, he's king. What would it look like if we made that not just as an intellectual concept? What, what if that was real in your heart today? That Jesus is king. He's, that means right now, this moment, actively, he is with all authority and power and ability, ruling over creation. 
What if I believe, what, I'm asking this for myself. What did I believe today? What if I believed that today? How would I be different? Think about what you're worrying about right now. What your mind is going towards. Are you about to get fired? Are you tired? Are you burned out? Are you scared? Are you lonely? Jesus is king. He's enthroned. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. If your idol right now is not coming through for you, and by the way, it never fully can because it can't be king because he's king. You have to ask yourself, have I set my mind on that? Have I really worked through the implications of his kingship in my life? I think, I think that's why we're kind of funny people. We spend all of our lives wanting to be king and masters and commanders of our own lives, and then we sit around sad and lonely and scared and tired and frustrated because it's not working out. In the latest Matrix movie that came out uh, last, last year, there was this one scene where the computer program is, is talking about uh, why it's easy to control humanity. And this is what the, the, per, the computer program says. He says, uh, people are quietly yearning for what they don't have while dreading losing what they do. For 99% of the race, that, of your race, that is the definition of reality. I think it's actually a really good summary. I'll say it again. We quietly yearn for what we don't have while dreading losing what we do. And I would argue the only way to break that cycle is to place Jesus as king. And if we did, we might not know why he allows to happen what's happening right now, but it can't be that he's not in control. It can't be that it isn't, that he, it is outside his power and dominion. And I would argue as long as we follow what the world says we need, which by the way is always a self-definition apart from Jesus as king, we'll never have that contentment because we will never be able to sit under his kingship. Let me put it a different way. Have you ever met somebody who was really, really smart, but didn't know they were smart? They thought they were dumb? Or maybe somebody who was really beautiful, but they didn't know their beauty? Of course you do. Because why? It's just because you are something doesn't mean you live that out in your life. And Paul is saying that exactly to us. He's saying that you're going to appear with Jesus. Look at all these phrases. They're amazing. You're going to appear with Jesus in glory in verse 4, right? That, uh, what else does he say? He says that you belong to him. You're now hidden in him. Those are amazingly deep statements. And they're true, but that doesn't mean today, right now, you're living as if they're true. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we giving our hearts to? What are we setting our hearts and minds on? Because what if setting our hearts and minds in prayer isn't just a duty, it's a way to get in a space before our king? Or what if setting our hearts and minds, reading our Bible wasn't a chore, 
but access to the knowledge and character of our Lord and Maker. That you won't be able to stop and put to death over desire, and I would argue, unless we give our hearts to this. All right, so last point. How do we get it? How do we get We know what to put off. We know what to put on. But again, the context for this Colossians passage, Paul's talking to people who call themselves Christians. He's talking to people who thought they believed in Jesus. And yet he, there, he, right here he's saying, yeah, but guess what? I know you have other little saviors. You have other little things you're looking to. Because why? Because just believing intellectually, just thinking that you know Jesus as Lord and King doesn't mean you live it, doesn't mean you really know it. And I think Paul gives us hope. I think the answer is in the last verse. In verse 10, he says, You have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You say, well, how's that good news? Well, notice in verse 1, it's past tense. You have been raised in Christ. And yet in verse 10, it's you are being renewed in the Greek. In other words, when you become a Christian, this is actually beautiful, immediately in the past, you get an identity that you can access, that you're hidden in him, that he is your king, and you'll have him in glory. And yet the realization of that is an ongoing process of being renewed, warring between the old self and the new self. And I think that's, for, for, personally for me, that's a comfort. It should be a comfort to all of us that this will take time, that this is a journey, that this is a process to take what you know is true and make it real in your life. And I would argue that when you have in the past that you have been raised and yet now you're still being renewed, that holding those two things together is the beauty of Christianity. But, which, by the way, is categorically different than what the world says. Because the world says this, it's up to you to create your identity. And you know what we do? We spend all day going, was well, this who I am? Well, maybe it's this. Maybe I should change it. Maybe I'm not living in line. All the pressure is on us. What if I pick the wrong one? What if I can't tell what the right one is? Paul comes in here and says, no, 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 no. You don't have anything to be anxious about because you already know your identity. Your identity is you are in Christ. Whatever else you are, you're in Christ, and life is living out and remembering and figuring out what that means. Two nights ago, I couldn't fall asleep. Um, normally, I fall asleep pretty well, but two nights ago, there was just, just all the concerns and cares and worries, the things that keep you up at night. I, my mind was, was racing. I just could, I could not. I was like, there's no way I'm falling asleep tonight. But then what, something interesting happened. Like an arrow, uh, one of my elders came and prayed for me the day before. And in the prayer, he said, I, I pray that Michael just knows that more than anything else, he's a child of God. And all of a sudden, like an arrow, like this came to my mind. And I was like, I'm a child of God. <laughs> Out cold. Why? Because at the end of the day, that's what you need. You need that more than anything else in the world. And so the question today is, are you ready for that? Are you ready not to come and get your new identity? No, to re-remember what's already been done. To figure out not who you are, but to figure out, now that we're in Christ, are we ready to live that out? I would argue that when we realize that your real identity is being a child of God, and not 
ultimately being a great lawyer. When you realize that being loved by Jesus is greater than the love of a parent that, that, that love, greater than the love a parent could ever give you. When we realize that, it changes us. I'll put it differently. Today, let's say you're afraid of losing a job. Let's say you're afraid of never being fully known or loved by other people. Let's say you're afraid of the trauma that's happened to you in the past. And you doubt you ever feel whole again because of it. If Jesus is king in your life, if you are a child of God, this is what you get to do. You get to look at your job, look it square in the eyes and say this. Say, job, you're important, but you're not my life. Jesus is my life. Hey, friends, you're needed, you're real, but you are not what matters most in my life. He matters most in my life. Hey, trauma, trauma is real. That happened. It's ongoing. It's still there. Hey, but trauma, you do not have the last say in my life. Jesus has the last say in my life. And I, hopefully you're sitting here going, yeah, yeah, thanks, Mike. That's helpful. I get it. Thanks a lot. But that, how do I make that real? How do I make that real? Well, let me, I told this story a couple years ago. I'm going to say it again because I've been rethinking it. True story. Uh, when my daughter was, my oldest was one years old, I had the job of taking her out on the stroller. And I needed to take her outside, and so I did the whole, like, where's my phone, wallet, keys. I left my wallet upstairs on the 20th floor of my uh, building, which had a little study in it. And so I put her in the stroller and waited a long time for the elevator. We get to the top floor. She's screaming now, mad. And I'm like, oh, if I get out and wait again for a long time, she's going to keep screaming. So I had this brilliant idea. What if I uh, just logged her in the elevator so the door couldn't close because of the sensor and just run in and get the wall and come right back out. Everything, every, I win. Some of you are already like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant plan, so I, I did the, just that. I, I made sure that if, if the door closed, it, you know, it would, she would be pushed into the elevator. So I run in, get my wallet, turn around, about to run back out, and there's this amazing hawk just sitting perched on, just outside the window of this top floor. And I was like, that's amazing. Look at the wings. Look at the, look at the, the, the claws. And I did what everybody else would do. I took out my phone, started taking pictures, and said, well, this is, a, this is amazing. Look how close I can get to this thing. About a minute later, I go, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I run out. I get to the elevator. Door's closed. Baby's gone. What happened? What happened is this. The experience of that hawk became such a motivating driver in my life. It had filled my imagination so much. It had pushed out all my other affections. And I would argue this, that the only way you're ever going to change the wrong affections of your life is that you have to, you can't just stop and have a void of the desires you're looking at. You have to have Something that to put to death the affections of your heart, you have to have something, an expulsive power of a new affection that comes into your life. And so for Paul, God's love, him being enthroned, being hidden in him, has to be such a vivid expression in your imagination that it not only completely changes your goals 
and your needs and your way of life, it changes the prism by which you view everything else. That now his blessing is, is the best blessing in the world, not all the other blessings. Right? To, to see his beauty as more beautiful than all the other beauties. That it, 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 the wonders and amazement of the world is seen through that. See, you're still thinking, Mike, you're a terrible dad. I can't believe you did that. But I would hope that you would say and ask yourself, has Jesus Christ become that expulsive power of a new affection in my life? Has he captured my heart to push everything else out? Because the fact is this. The truth is this, that you are hidden in Christ. You say, what does that even mean? I don't really know. I looked through a lot of the commentaries, and it's a mystery. But you can, like, live in that mystery, can't you? And say, whatever that means, whatever I'm scared of, whatever I'm worried about, whatever is unknown about the future, whatever things, keeps me up at night, functionally speaking, the things that you're using to save you can't save you. And as important as they are, they can't be your life. He's enthroned in him, in Christ. I know I'm loved and cared for. And if we live that truth, if we realize that Christ lost his life so I could have a life, then that means that whatever circumstances you're in right now, whatever you're going through, which I don't know, you know it, I don't know what it is, whatever that is, the ups and downs, you get your life back. You get your identity in him. And Redeemer Lincoln Square, this is part of our DNA. This has to be the core of not only is what's wrong with us, but it's what's going to make things right. That we can't be different people ultimately without this. That you will not be more loving just by saying, today I'm going to be more loving. You're going to be more loving to the degree that you see Jesus' love actively and practically applied in your life. For those of you who want to know what happened— the door closed. I hit the button. I knew it was going to take forever, so I ran down the steps, 20 floors. I get down to the lobby. There's the stroller. There's the bassinet. No baby. So I go to the front desk, and the baby's there. And I actually haven't told this part ever, so here's, this is what's new. Of course, the doorman looks at me and goes, what happened? What happened? And I could have had the opportunity right there to say exactly what happened to you. You know what I said? I was so filled with shame. This is what I did. I said, you know what? I had to tie my shoe, and I got down, and the baby was in the elevator, and I did it. It just happened so fast. It's, it's kind of crazy. I can't believe that happened. And the guy kind of looked at me like this and said, all right, here's your baby back. <laughs> to this day, I'm still bothered by the fact that I, I didn't have to lie in that moment. But I did it anyway. You know why? Because I had an explosive power of a hawk. <laughs> that didn't stop me from lying, did it? An explosive power of something else is not going to be enough. I wish I had the explosive power of God's love so impressed on my heart in that moment that, look, in verse 9, I could have put to death lying. But not only put to death lying would have been lived and lived into saying, I can't believe what a mess up I am. And be completely okay with that because if the love of God was so washing through my veins, it didn't matter what he thought. It didn't matter how he saw me. Because that's why you lie. You always lie because you're, you're worried about the consequences of what they might think about you. I pray that we will have this in our lives. What if we had more wonder for his love than the, than the, than the next promotion? What if we had more joy in our life than, than a hawk? 
Uh, friends, I want us to set our, our hearts and minds on Jesus because I would argue this is what will fix the world. It's what's going to fix us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being able to get up on stage and tell people about a shameful event and know that it doesn't matter what other people think about you. you it, what matters is what you do. Father, we're, we're cast back and forth with the cares of this world, looking and searching for an identity that won't, won't work. Father, I pray that it's so simple. Union with Christ, in Christ with you. That is such a mystery. I don't really f- quite know what it is. Nobody does, and yet that's the, that's the beauty of it, is that this church can go on a journey together to discover what that means. And Father, if we did, it would push us out in the world, push us away from our navel-gazing into the lives and needs and cares of this world, both physical and spiritual. I pray powerfully we would see, if we're new or even if we're not new to this church, that this has to be the core, not of this church, but also of our lives. Praises in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.